Hello and welcome to another episode of No Particular Podcast. Um, so I know it's been a while since I uploaded an episode and I feel bad about that. I've been, I wanted to stay consistent from the start, but it's just been really hard. Even just trying to find time to talk with people and such, but uh, yeah, I'm trying. So <clears throat> so lately I've, I started a, a new position at work and that's been interesting. I've been really enjoying it total change of pace I used to work and it's for the same company you know and everything and but it's a very different role within the company I used to do one job where it was like the same thing over and over again for hours on end and you know it was really easy to just kind of like put on a podcast or some music or something and then just kind of zone out and just focus on just you know well, not really have to focus too heavily, but, you know, it would just kind of zone out and everything. Whereas now it's a role where I'm always thinking and I'm kind of being like challenged a little bit, like, you know, critical thinking and such like that. It's fun. It's a little stressful, but um, I'm enjoying it and I'm looking forward to becoming more proficient in what I do and everything. But anyhow, yeah, it's been it's been good. I've been enjoying it. Um, oh yeah, uh, another thing uh, is that um, I've been working on school stuff again, so that's great. I'm not going as crazy as I like last term. I took three classes and I passed them all. I got A's, two A's and a B, which is fine with me. Um, <clears throat> um, I'm I'm only taking one this term because I'm paying out of pocket. And I went from a community college to a university, and the change in cost of going to school is insane. It's pretty frustrating. I mean, even like uh, I went to pay for, I went to pay the, you know, pay the college and everything. And if you don't have like your account set up with with them, like if you just try and use a debit card or whatever to pay online, there's like a forty dollar convenience fee, which is insane in my opinion, but, you know, whatever, cost of going to school, I guess, but, no, I, I got it kind of waived and was able to figure out a way to just set up connecting, like, my bank account directly to the, I don't know, anyways, I basically got that waived, but, you know, not everyone thinks about that, and it wasn't brought up, you know, it wasn't, you know, brought to my attention, like, right away or anything, so, Anyways, there's all that that's been going on. Uh, I've been trying to work on axes and stuff for Find Edge when I can. Um, and yeah, I would encourage anyone to look into that. I haven't really posted anything on that Instagram in a minute, but PNW Refined Edge on Instagram. Um, if I'm gonna be posting any pictures of like axes we're working on and such, or knives we're sharpening and such, it would be there. But, um, uh, yeah, things are going good. I'm trying to set up more, you know, conversations with people. After this episode, I've recorded another one since that was with multiple people. And it was a really fun, casual conversation. But um, I'll get to that after this one, which this episode is with uh, Jason Robinson from last episode. And we continue talking about his experience with uh, um, mental therapy and 
working in the jails and such and his experience with uh, talking with gang members and we talk about some D&D and uh, like Dungeons and Dragons and um, yeah we talked about all kinds of things it was a, a little bit um, a little bit more of a chill conversation a little laid back we enjoyed some beers we talked about them in the beginning but uh, anyways this is uh, episode two with Jason Robinson I hope you guys enjoy it However you want to do it. It's okay, totally cool. up to you, man. So I guess I'm really interested. We Are you wrote, on? Did you start already? Yeah, we're going. <laughs> so we've got a few beers here that we're going to try sipping. Well, you said you've tried them both. Right? I've tried them both, and okay. I like them a lot. So I guess we'll, we'll start with the uh, Overcast Espresso Stout. Is the brand Oakshire? Oakshire, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Local. I good. think they're from Eugene, if I remember correctly. Eugene? Hmm. Looks Very pretty good. good. Oh, that's pretty good. You like it? Yeah, that's nice. What are your thoughts on that? It's pretty flavorful, but it's not like overly like you know how some stouts like sometimes like they really like like you almost have to be eating something or <laughs> like you can't just be that. Like, yeah, it's got to be something more while you're drinking the stout. But this is like a nice like just kind of chill and drink it and everything. It's yeah. not overwhelming. Lots of coffee in it. I yeah, like that. yeah, it's got a, a nice coffee flavor too good brunch beer yeah yeah i can see that <laughs> so yeah picking up off of uh, where we left off with the last episode yeah where, where would you like to begin well let's okay so a couple things that i noticed from the last episode yeah uh after listening to it number one um my voice is surprisingly better than i thought oh yeah it would be actually um, which made me feel really good. I also realized I definitely have a, a voice or a face for podcasting. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> um, so I feel good about that. But no, it was it was really fun. Um, I'm excited to do it again today. Oh, I also noticed. So you had mentioned before. There's you kind of notice idiosyncrasies with things that you do. I so I noticed the same thing. So mm-hmm. I say super a oh, lot, yeah. a lot. Uh, so I'm going to try super hard today to <laughs> not say super. It's uh, it's tough, dude. It's really frustrating when you're listening back and how often you'll say or you'll do something. Yeah. Even if it's just like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like yeah. If you do that over and over again. But yeah, my, my biggest ones that I hate hearing myself say is that makes sense. Or uh, my girlfriend always says that I say anywho a lot. Like I'll just say, well, anywho, uh, I don't know. I guess I say yeah, I don't remember lot. that from last yeah, time. So. I don't remember that either. I don't remember <laughs> any time that I've said it enough to be recognized as he says that way too much. Like that's, Well, if you say anywho, we'll drink. Yeah. And if I say super, we'll, yeah. we'll, we'll drink. That sounds We can still drink for enjoyment. Yes, that too, right? that too, that too, yeah. No, it's cool though. But um, so am I the first person that you've had on two times then? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's a big deal. Yeah, I appreciate no. that. Thank you. Well, I feel I mean, privileged to even just the last time there was so much that we could still cover. Yeah. And everything and I mean most people that I've had, yeah, like there's 
there's so much more to talk about than a person thinks that they have to talk about. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah, I, I mean, I'm glad that you're willing to come back and keep on talking about oh, it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Some people, even after the first time, they're kind of discouraged. Like, I don't know if I can talk about myself for that much longer or what <laughs> I do. But, I mean, it's it's really just casual conversation, yeah, too. Absolutely. Last time, we you know trailed off on talking about consciousness and life after death and everything. Philosophy yeah, and doing yeah, deep. Still need to dive into... Uh, you studying philosophy and everything too. Sure. Yeah, whatever you want to talk about, man. I'm what, down. What would you say is your biggest pull towards an interest in philosophy? Oh, geez. What um, do you enjoy about it so much? I like. I don't even know how to answer that question. Really, I mean, I'd like to say that it helps me. I think it helps me to understand the world better. It helps me to understand myself and other people better. Um, just kind of in maybe the nature of reality a little bit. It's also just I like intellectually, it's really interesting to me. It's fascinating to think about these different things and different ways of looking at the world. Um, yeah, I, I just I don't know. I like to think um, deeply and analytically and critically about things. Um, and philosophy kind of gives me a systemic way of doing that, I guess. Um, so I really enjoy thinking about that stuff and talking about it. It's yeah. just fun for me. Do, <clears throat> is there like any particular philosopher that you draw a lot of inspiration from or that really makes your brain work in an interesting yeah. way? <laughs> a lot of them do that. My Probably my favorite of all time would be um, Ludwig Wittgenstein, which is Whoa. a really fun name to say, by the way. Um, but he was a philosopher on um, uh, language. He did a lot of language philosophy, um, which is really interesting because it helps. The reason that I liked him, it, it the philosophy of language helps to break down I mean, I, I guess a little bit what we talked about last time and like this this difference between subjective and objective things, it plays into that a little bit because the philosophy of language helps you to understand that um, a lot of the problems that we develop even as human beings, and this plays into psych as well, um, is because of the language that we use and the way that we uh, describe things, the way mm-hmm. that we um, look at words. Our, our words that we use the language that we use kind of brackets our understanding of the universe mm-hmm. of ourselves and other people. And so, um, by understanding how that process works, I think it helps me to understand myself and other people better. I don't know if that, hopefully that makes yeah. sense. No, I could see that. I feel like if you, if you really were sucked into a lot of like philosophy though, like I feel like it can make you, do you feel like sometimes you, it creates a, like you overthink things, like even like simple things. I guess that might be fun though. I analyze stuff a lot. Yeah. yeah probably more so than I should sometimes. I mean, it, it, yeah, it can, again, that's a time with psych too, that, um, th- there's especially certain questions of philosophy that really can't be answered. I mean, we're talking about, you know, last time, like the nature of consciousness and life after death and oh, yeah. is the universe a simulation and all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. And, those things are fascinating to think about and talk about, but you can also kind of drive yourself nuts, like ruminating 
on that constantly. That's you know? what I'm saying. Yeah, I feel like you'd be really easy to just get your your mind sucked into yeah kind of a hole and get lose yourself a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Think about it too heavily. Yeah. But. So figuring out where to draw that line, I think, is important. Like you, it, it's really fun to think about those things in depth and have conversations about them. Is extremely fun. I almost said super there. Um, better take a drink. Extreme. Um, extremely uh, fun. But at the same time, yeah, you could you could potentially go overboard with it. Especially, um, I mean, I've caused myself like I don't know the equivalent of like existential panic attacks or crises before oh, you know that. like freaking out over you know the concepts of like infinity and I mean that stuff is pretty mind-boggling to think about yeah no it is even just uh like when you think about the supposed size of the universe and uh all the possibilities that are out there mm-hmm. You can get lost thinking about. I get lost thinking about that. Yeah. Like the whole question of, you know, are there parallel universes? Yeah. Is there yeah. life outside of Earth? Yeah. I mean, personally, I think that there is some form of life off of Earth, like out there. Whether it's intelligent or not, that's that's where I'm kind of like I'm unsure. I think whether humans are intelligent is arguable. That's true. <laughs> that's true. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, um, just some, yeah, I don't know. I wouldn't be surprised if there was something else out there. Yeah, I can't imagine that there wouldn't. I mean, what is that? Um, what is it? Is it Fermat's theorem? I can't remember exactly. But the is that famous equation, the likelihood of development of intelligent civilization. I mean, it's there's just so much in the universe. I mean, is really is incomprehensible to the human mind i cannot fathom that human beings are the only source of consciousness in the uh, there's just no way that that's true i mean i I cannot believe that that's what i'm saying like when people are like "Eh, i don't think there's anything else out there i'm like you don't think there's anything out there you don't think there's even like just rocks and dust for eternity yeah yeah like there's at least some form of life even if it was like the simplest form even if there's like a planet with like jellyfish like creatures that are just <laughs> swimming around on it, like right. I feel like there's others other stuff out there for sure. Yeah, I don't I mean there's just no way that there's nothing out there. I mean the interesting thing is do those things like why aren't they here? Mm-hmm. Um and I I don't know. I have my own kind of theory as to how that might work, but um yeah, I it's really fascinating to think about. Have you seen uh, Arrival, the movie Arrival? I haven't. No. Really, really good film. I highly recommend it. It's about um, aliens coming to the world and trying to make um, communicating with humanity. And it's it, I don't want to give too much of the story away, but it it's interesting in the sense that the the language, the way that they perceive reality and the language, I guess this kind of ties into the philosophy of language thing that we were talking about. Um, the way that they look at things is kind of everything at once. So human beings have a tendency to look at things linearly, right? So we go from point A to point B. It's all like terms of causality. I drove here and now we're sitting here talking. We'll get done. I'll leave and I'll go home. So these aliens um, in the, it's comes from a book. Um, I can't, I should remember it because I'm actually reading it right now. Um, 
Ted Chang is the guy that wrote it, super intelligent author. But the way that the aliens look at the universe is that everything happens kind of at once. The, the way that they perceive their language allows them to kind of look at causality from both directions so they can see past, future, and present all at the same time. Oh. And then when they teach human beings how to think and speak in that same way, once they adopt that language, then they have the ability to perceive reality in that way as well. It's wow. really, really fascinating. It's super, super good film. Oh, I did it. I did it twice in a row. It's a really good film, though. <laughs> Everybody should watch it. Um, so, so the idea is that like they, they're making their actions knowing what will occur as a result and such. It's it's that the way that they, and I guess this is true as far as I'm not like a expert in physics or anything like that, but um. So there's they call it like the arrow of time in, in physics, right? Like things happen along this continuum. But according to physical principles, apparently things can travel in the opposite direction just as easily as they can in the direction that we experience it. So time could, you can imagine a universe in which theoretically things run backwards to forwards, if that makes sense. And so um, the way that these aliens can perceive again because of the the way their language helps them to understand the universe they can see all everything kind of at once or as they choose to view it so they could see things in the past just like it was happening in the moment they could see the present i don't know I, i'm not wow. doing a very good job of explaining it but again i think it's kind of mind-boggling <laughs> or yeah, to explain no, as well heavy concepts yeah now, i guess that would change the way that we carry you know carry out our day and yeah such. yeah yeah, that's that's some philo philosophical thinking. <laughs> <laughs> but so, um, do, so you said you studied philosophy in college, kind mm -hmm. of as a in undergrad, yeah. Okay, and then I've continued like just looking at stuff on my own since that point in time. Mm, so, okay, yeah. and you think? Do you think you'll ever go back to continue studying philosophy, or have you kind of learned as much as you wanted, like in college, and from like here on, you're just kind of your own personal? Like yeah, studies. I think it's my own kind of personal journey at this point. Like I said before, I would, I mean, I would love to go to school all the time if I could. Yeah. Like if you could get paid to do that, I would, I would definitely love to get like a doctorate in philosophy or something. But um, no, as far as like going back to school, you, there's no like jobs in philosophy. Yeah. You that's, can. That's what I always thought is interesting. Like when people major in philosophy, and it's mm -hmm. just like, because if you do, isn't your best hope is to become an instructor? To teach yeah to teach i think it. mostly people do that in order to go into academia yeah um or else you you know you'll wind up as the the janitor that is contemplating the nature of the universe <laughs> yeah <laughs> really in depth not to rag on people that that are into philosophy because i love it myself but I, I just the um the job prospects i think are extremely limited yeah in that way um yeah, there's certainly more opportunities in psych than there are in philosophy. Yeah. Do you think people need to, like, do you think it could be beneficial to people in general to study philosophy in general a little more often? Yeah, I totally think so, yeah. I mean, like I mentioned last time, I think that well, kind of humanity in general, but especially us in America, we, we really don't have very good critical thinking skills. Mm-hmm. And 
philosophy I mean, depends on the philosophy that you're looking at, but most of them, most aspects of philosophy, um, help people to be more critical thinkers about what they're experiencing and what reality is, the way that they're thinking, the way that they're relating to other people. Um, and I think that the more exposure that people get to different systems of thought, the more capable they are of just understanding the universe in a diversity of ways that can really benefit them. It's easier to come up with like heuristics in order to make decisions in your life. And um, I think you're just able to kind of navigate life better the more that yeah. you understand critically what's happening around you and within you as well. So do you have like a top three that you would suggest that people like, you know, maybe if they have a time or interest to look into studying philosophy a little bit more, oh, maybe that man. they, wow. Uh, that's a good question. So, I mean, I said before, I'm really into existential psych and I think that, or existential philosophy is kind of the same thing. Um, I think there's a tie in with that because all, all human beings are mortal. You know, everybody experiences some type of existential angst or dread in their life at some point or, or comes into contact with existential things. So, you know, you could live as long as humanly possible and everybody that you love and care about will eventually die if you get to that point. So you're going to experience um, losses in life. And then uh, again, like we talked about before that, that understanding that there is this really clear distinction that people don't understand between the things that I experience and my beliefs and thoughts and what is actual reality in the world. And that we really screw up our lives all the time um, by missing, by, by misconstruing saying like, oh, well, this is, this is reality. Well, no, it's not reality. That's a belief system or a thought or a feeling that you have about the world. That doesn't mean that it's actually what it is. Mm -hmm. That's just something that you're experiencing right now. That causes a lot of problems for people, both psychologically and philosophically. Yeah. So that's a that's a big one. Um, and like I said, I really like philosophy of language, although that stuff can be really in-depth and hard. Um, but just understanding that, you know, gaining some understanding that language really um, impacts the way that we view the world and ourselves and other people. Um, I think that that's really important for, for people to grasp M morality. Um, I used to teach like ethics and morality to the, to the clients in the jail and the prison. That was really fun leadership. Um, any, just anything, anything that people find interesting with that, I would recommend, um, there's so many different types of philosophy and philosophical schools and theories that somebody should be able to find something that they like. And you, you kind of, uh, you pull from the, those theories and such a lot when you're trying to, when you're at work and you're trying to go through counseling someone, do you refer to that quite a bit? Yeah, it's, it's, I think it depends on the client. I try and be responsive to what they're giving me. So, um, yeah, I mean, if they're dealing with, the loss of a loved one and they have a whole bunch of like grief and loss issues as a result of that. Or we, like we talked about last time, somebody that knows that they're going to go to prison potentially for the, the rest of their life. Um, 
existential psychology and philosophy just really easily fits in with that because it's hey let's talk about what this loss is like for you and um trauma ptsd all that kind of stuff plays into that um pretty commonly um it just kind of depends on and on the client like some clients are really sophisticated and they can go very in-depth uh about those things uh and other clients think um i don't know maybe more surfacey or less critically um and it's all about how to have that communication with someone i think that matters yeah uh, what what is your exposure to philosophy and did you ever take any classes for that in undergrad i don't think i have no i haven't i don't know i guess uh I guess when I thought about classes like that or anything like that, it just seemed like um, I kind of thought it might be like a lot of really, I, I mean, I guess in this really speaks to who I used to be, but I used to think it was like going to be a lot of hard studying. And I was always like, it can be, I don't, yeah. yeah. And I mean, but I mean, it would be, I think it would be, if it was hard studying, it would be constructive and it would be mm. positive for you to be studying it. Whereas it's a lot different if you're studying really hard at chemistry or something like that. That's just stressful, you know? <laughs> like it's stressful to me, yeah, yeah, that's for sure. That or physics, like anything like that, like it's just, it's intense and it's just like, yeah. whereas I think that if you studied philosophy and such really hard, it could be very like beneficial for you and yourself, you mm -hmm. know? And it'd be something that you could apply to the way that you carry out your daily life, yeah. your thoughts and everything and the way that you perceive things and interact with the world in general. Right. Um, yeah, I never had an opportunity to really like dive into any kind of um, philosophy, but I think it could be beneficial. And yeah, I was I like with this, I was kind of like noting, like I'm going to have to look into this stuff a little bit more. <laughs> yeah. See if I can start applying these ideas to, you know, my well, daily. yeah, and it, a couple of things that pop into my head as you mentioned that is that, um, number one, I think personality plays a huge part in this, right? So some people are just kind of more geared towards thinking analytically than other people, or they, they might just analyze things in a different way. Mm -hmm. um, so again, when you're when I'm doing counseling with people or groups or whatever, I try and be responsive to that. Um, I think that that's, that's really important. And what was the other thing I was going to say? I can't remember. I've, I've blank slated myself right now. I can't remember what it was. Um, yeah, it'll come back to me. Well, I think like with psychology and philosophy gives kind of good understanding and answers to um, the fact that things are a little bit more complex than they might appear on the surface. Mm -hmm. Like when you see someone out in public like if a homeless person just like if they aren't high or something like that and if they're really just kind of losing themselves you know like there's cause to like why that happened whether it's a chemical imbalance yeah or whether it was some form of trauma you know like that like mm -hmm. or a combination of things yeah, yeah but if you just take it at face value all it is is like scary it's just kind of like mm -hmm. i don't want to be involved in that yeah but yeah if you have the desire to like want to really break it down and figure out like why that occurred what what happened to them mm -hmm. to get them to where they're at now. Yeah. That stuff's really interesting to me. Yeah. That's, and, that's one of the fascinating things about my job is I get to, to engage with people at that level where yeah. I'm trying to figure out what is going on with this person and how can we help them? 
um, those are really, yeah, fascinating ways to, to look at people and, and dive in. But yeah, you're right. It can be really intimidating, especially, yeah, if you run into someone on the street, if it's three in the morning in a dark alley or something, it could be someone terrifying. Someone yelling yeah. about something random or right. I don't know. Yeah. That's, I just like the idea of like figuring out, it's kind of like a puzzle, you know, it's not random. Like, mm. it's not like that just happened just cause yeah. like, that's the way that they are. I mean, there's a reason why right that's all going on for them you know yeah speaking of causality there's something that that yeah leads to that point absolutely yeah it's kind of like you know if your car isn't starting right or something or if it's not running right yeah like it's not random right there's something going on that's a great analogy to be replaced to make it run better again yeah absolutely and i don't know that's that's what's scary though when you start um really thinking about like if you feel like you have something going on with yourself and it's kind of like oh my gosh like what is broken inside of me yeah you know? like, yeah, what did yeah i have happened you know and that's a common way to think when people are experiencing mental illness of, of any type even um like contextual depression or whatever if yeah. feeling like oh yeah i feel i feel completely broken as a human being right now that's really really common yeah, yeah. i imagine it initially it probably comes with a lot of like denial like a lot of people like no no no, i'm okay like i'm okay i don't have anything wrong with me like i i don't want to i don't need to go find help like i can figure this out yeah okay yeah and that'd be really frustrating and hard to come to grips with like no i need to go find help i need to figure this out you know or it could lead me down some really bad rabbit hole you know like yeah I think I briefly mentioned this last time. It's one of the things that's really interesting is, especially when I worked in the jail, I would meet with people that they literally would never, ever have gone to meet someone in mental health. Mm -hmm. So this is, again, one of those kind of bizarre experiences that only happens in a a jail or a a prison. Um, So... I can think of one person that kind of jumps in my mind and he was likely schizoid personality disorder, which um, most people don't know what that means. But basically, um, it's like the super loner type. Like this person does not really associate with other human beings all that much. They're kind of hermits in the woods um, kind of thing. And this guy, he would never have gone to see a mental health professional in society and in the world but the fact that he was incarcerated um and he had done some pretty interesting stuff to get incarcerated uh they wanted uh, us or me to go check in with him and so but that conversation is amazing because this happened multiple times where i would talk with people that would say (laughs) there was a couple times where people would think that i was like a physical doctor and then I would very quickly redirect that. I'm like, oh, no, 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 that this is I'm Jason from Mental Health. Like, walk I'm, in, they're starting to take off their shirt. Yeah, well, not like that. Thank God. No, no, it didn't. It didn't go that far. But uh, that's, that's a whole other story. All right, Doc. I don't know. I've got a weird discomfort in my sternum. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. Know. Get the me out here. No, but um, yeah, where, where they were kind of shocked. Like, oh, well, do I? have to talk to you and there was an interesting thing about that job um kind of like i had mentioned before this crucible of understanding where really quickly you have to figure out a way to how can i connect with this person right now in order to like have a conversation with them and so i would try and downplay 
things when I talk to them. Hey, I mean, you don't have to sit in here and talk with me. I just want to let you know, like, I, I just want to check in real quick and see how you're doing. Is it cool to like sit here? And usually uh, the more casual I was with communications like that, the more open and responsive people were to having those communications with me. Yeah. And so that's when they would be like, oh, yeah, it's fine. You know, I'm, if you just want to sit here and bullshit with me, that's fine. We could do that for mm-hmm. 20 minutes or whatever. And then it would you know, be an hour, an hour and a half that we had sat and talked about what was going on with them. Yeah. Um, and there was multiple times that people would say like, you know, I've never, ever talked to anybody that was like a counselor or a therapist or anything like that. I never thought that I ever would. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've really enjoyed this conversation. Yeah. And that was really um, reaffirming to me. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's awesome to experience something like that like oh i made this connection with this person and hopefully that increases the likelihood that they would want some type of professional contact like that or just a positive social contact with Mm -hmm. anyone you know once they once they leave a facility like that it's great i imagine it's pretty pretty important to establish that rapport like pretty quick though yeah 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 Yeah. Yeah, that's like uh that interview and interrogation class i talked about last time Mm -hmm. like that was a big like key component is within the first few minutes. Yeah. Establishing like a rapport with the person you're talking to. So yep. they don't want to just clam up and avoid you. You know, yep. it's like a lot of like, Hey man, like I get it. If I was in the same situation, mm-hmm. I probably would have done the same yeah. thing. Like you didn't, I've said that myself many yeah. a time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it, it's really interesting. There's huge tie-ins between, um, especially forensic psychology and those like interview techniques. Um, yeah. I think a lot of people kind of the lay person would think that maybe you do like a good cop, bad cop thing. I mean, cause that's the common perception, right? That's like the popularized way that people look at those kind of interactions. But I, I don't think that those are very beneficial for people yeah. at all. It's people are much more, people love to tell their story and they're inclined to do that if they, trust you to some degree yeah and trust is built just can be built just by communicating openly with someone yeah um yeah i don't i don't think most people really realize that especially when it comes to forensic stuff and talking to terrorists and things like that yeah yeah that's, that's true that makes sense yeah there we go i said that that makes sense <laughs> <laughs> It's bound to happen. Yeah, no, it's it's so frustrating to be mindful of it while you're going and everything and like thinking about it. Like if it's like almost like you're nervous about it. Like don't say it, don't say yeah. it, and, and then you cause you yourself say to yeah. say it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But uh, but yeah, no, that um, yeah, that's interesting that you kind of. So usually you do you approach people no matter the situation with a pretty calm demeanor and a pretty like let's just oh yeah let's just hash things out let's just talk about it like, yeah what do you got? I th- my personality is the the type where number one I like to be I just feel way more comfortable if I'm really casual with mm-hmm. people um, which I think helps a lot especially in that environment um, I try not to be pushy I try and be client directed like whatever you want to talk about because I, and I also I'm confident I guess that I can get where I want to go like I might have an idea of I think this person is experiencing some type of mental health disorder but let's let them wander that path and I can help direct them in that way um, so that confidence I think is kind of just built over time and experience of doing it such an interesting path because like you said like uh, 
uh, I don't know what you would call them. What would you call like the kind of therapist that just anyone can go to? Just like a, a public therapist, or like what would you call that? Like a commercial therapist? Just or? a like a, somebody that you could just yeah, call if, if and go to. I was like, to? I want to go down to that place down the road and talk to talk to so and so. Yeah, there. just like a counselor, just or a counselor, therapist, okay, social worker. It's, it kind of depends on. But yeah, it's not like uh, they get a whole lot of people that come. Like, I don't want to be here. I don't want to have this conversation. Yeah, they, they're never going to see somebody that yeah, doesn't want to. They're never going to see, gonna them, see yeah. anyone that's like unless so it's like court mandated. But that's yeah, yeah, that's a different story. But all of yours are pretty much court mandated, aren't they? Like, aren't they basically all like they have to talk to you? Well, so the the people in the jail. I mean, the, my current clients literally are court mandated to see me. But the the clients in the jail. Generally, don't the the only time. Well, I was gonna say when they're on suicide watch, that's a little bit of a different story because we won't take them off of suicide watch unless they communicate with us. But even then, I would be pretty open with them, and if and that happened a couple times, but it was pretty rare. Most of the time, they would talk to me because what I would say is like, "Listen, um, you know, I understand that you don't want to talk with me or something might be going on with you." All I want to do is check in with you and see how you're doing. This doesn't have to be like some super, oh, damn it, I did it. Some really deep, in-depth kind of discussion. I just want to know how you're doing and what's going on with you. And just to let you know, you don't have to talk to me today. But if you don't do that, you're never going to get taken off of a suicide watch unless you communicate with oh. one of us. So I'm telling you, yeah, I'm here right now and I'm willing to talk with you. And I'm willing to try and figure out a way to get you out of this situation. Um, but even then I would allow them if they're like, yeah, fuck you. I don't want to talk to you right now. Okay. Well have a great day and we'll try again later today or tomorrow or whatever it is. But there's incentive for them to talk to you. There certainly is. Yeah. Okay. Especially for somebody on suicide watch. Yeah. Yeah. I was wondering if there is a certain amount of time that you're like required to be in there trying to talk to them or if you go in and sit down and they're just like, no, fuck you. I don't want to talk. Like if they're just straight up, like, I'm not going to talk to you. Like, yeah. You can be like, okay, cool. Like, all right, then like I'll note down that you had no interest in talking to me. Yeah. I mean, again, on suicide watch, we're a little, a little bit more persistent. I would never pressure somebody. I mean, I'm really client directed. Like I don't want people to do things. I think that people have agency over their own decisions. It's not up to me to like force decisions on them. If that's what they want to do, that's, that's completely fine to me. But there, I mean, there are consequences for their behavior. So if they mm -hmm. say, I am not going to talk to you under any circumstances and they're on suicide watch, then I'll just let them know. Okay. Well, we don't have to talk. <laughs> you're going to, you're going to still be in a suicide spot 24 hours from now or eight hours from now or whatever. When my coworker comes in to try and talk to you. So until you decide to chat with somebody, this is what it's going to be like, just so you're aware of that. And how often is that? Is that like one today that they would have somebody go try and talk to them? Or? Yeah. If they're on suicide watch, it kind of depends on uh, usually like the staffing levels and maybe what's going on with the client at the time. Um, it ranges anywhere from like once a shift. So it could be like two times a day on average to um, once a day that somebody from mental health will go and try and check in with them and see how they're doing. But then if they say, for example, they decompensate, you know, or start self-harming or something like that, then certainly uh, we would be much more responsive at that point. They could wind up talking with somebody multiple times in a day, depending on what's going on with them. Hmm. Yeah. And how do they, how does somebody usually get on to suicide? Do they just say something that's just like, well, that's cause for us to believe that you might hurt yourself. Yeah. So there, there's a lot of different ways. So somebody could, come in and 
But I, you know, it's interesting. It's this huge range of things. So it could be somebody coming in and they don't say anything, say that they refuse to talk to anyone at all. Um, or let's say it could be the nature of the crime that they came in. So they um, shot somebody and they held a gun to their head when the police were there with them until they finally gave up. Um, they're going to come in and the cops are going to say, hey, this guy just had a gun to his head. We're scared that he's going to kill himself. He's almost for sure going to go on suicide watch at that point in time. Um, it could be somebody that comes in and they get asked, I don't even know how many times, it's a lot of times, by different staff members, are you suicidal? Are you thinking about suicide? Blah, blah, blah. All the time they're asked this during the intake process. And sometimes people will joke and they'll be like, uh, I am now that you've asked me this for the 15th goddamn time in a row. Like, I wasn't uh, suicidal before, but now I am. You're driving me totally nuts. And I've seen people like jokingly do things like that. And then they'll be like, okay, you're on suicide watch. So, and then they, they put them on as a result of it. Or it could be... Um, that they self-harm. I mean, it could be like an actual suicide attempt in the jail. Uh, there could be, it could be the charges. Um, so for example, like if someone was a law enforcement officer that comes into the jail on like child sex crimes or something, it's pretty common that somebody would be placed on suicide watch just out of an abundance of caution at that point um, because they're just so high risk. Um, yeah, it's a wide variety of things could put, put somebody in that position. Okay. So it's, it's not strictly like I'm going to hurt myself. Like it, it can be, they, they do that too. I mean, that's, okay. that's common as well. And oftentimes not all the time, but it's really common for people to do that just to get moved out of their facility where they'll just come up to the deputy and be like, oh, yeah, I want to kill myself. Um, <laughs> one of the downsides of Multnomah County is that they had, I don't know if they still have it, but they had televisions in the suicide watch unit that the deputies would routinely play things like um football games on mm -hmm. so which seems like a good idea right but this is so speaking of unintended consequences what would happen then is if someone was on a unit an inmate was on a unit where they wanted to watch you know, this, I want to watch the Super Bowl. The Super Bowl is on today. Mm -hmm. And the deputy's pissed at them and turns the TV off. Okay, well, now I'm suicidal. So then they get placed on suicide watch intentionally oh, because they know that they can watch the game uh, from the suicide unit. So this is – there's always ways that human beings come up with in order to, like, manipulate a system. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah. That's pretty crazy. Yeah. 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 Huh. Worth getting uh, stripped naked and put into a suicide smock, I guess. Yeah, I guess so. To be able to watch the game, mm -hmm. can't miss out on that. Um, huh? I'll, I'll tell you. Uh, there's a funny story that I have. This. So one of the interesting things in the jail is that you come into contact with people that that are first timers, right? So in prison, it's different because everybody's been they call it down, but incarcerated for a, a period of time at that point, right? But um, first timers are, are really entertaining sometimes in jail because they have no idea what's going on, right? Like they've, they've seen, you know, cops on TV or the jail reality show or Shawshank Redemption or something. Oh, That's yeah. the only exposure they've ever had. They don't know anything about a jail system, right? So we get this guy one time and um, I think he would like gotten drunk in downtown Portland and got into a screaming match with his girlfriend and then, I don't know, like broke a window or something and... 
they they stuck him in jail for a night. This guy had never been arrested before. He seemed like basically a totally normal dude that had mm-hmm. just had a real rough night. Um, he was drunk and did something stupid and was probably gonna gonna regret it to one degree or another for the rest of his life. But um, when he came in, I think he did one of those things where he just said something stupid like. Um, and this is the thing with first timers there. They usually have an abundance of honesty. So if somebody says, Hey, do you feel suicidal? Well, if it's your first time ever being stuck in a jail, it's pretty common for people to be like, fuck this. I don't, you know, I'm yeah. cause usually they're like drunk or upset or they've, you know, had some horrible thing typically happen to them. And so he was like, yeah, I, I want to kill myself. Or he was just being honest with them. Right. He had no idea what was going to happen to him. And so of course they take him and they strip him naked and they put him in the suicide smock and they stick him in the cell. Right. And so I come to talk with this guy. I, I, I can't remember when he went in and when I can't, it was relatively close after it was like in the middle of the night and I came in in the morning to talk with him. So mm. I think that he was sober at that time. So I'm chatting with this guy and he, he was terrified to leave his cell. That's what the deputy said. They're like, this guy will not like, he won't come on shower or like drink water or anything like that. He's just like stuck in his cell. He won't leave at all. So they were wondering if he was paranoid or whatever. So I go and I start talking with this guy and I'm like, what's, you know, what's going on? He explains his story. I'm a first timer. This is terrible. This is horrible. And I said, well, you know, they, you can leave here. They're, they're going to let you go out on walk and you could walk around and, you know, if you want to talk to some of the other guys in here, you know, just do something, take a shower, like do something to try and make yourself feel better. Right. You're, you're probably not going to feel good stuck in your room all day long. So he goes, well, my only concern is that I'm really scared. Like I've never, I've never been in a jail before. Is this, there's like murderers and stuff all over the place. Right. <laughs> like I'm, I'm scared. He was terrified, absolutely terrified that he was going to walk out of his cell and get killed. Um, because, you know, because of like popular culture, what, what he knew. And I, I was, <laughs> I was like, no, 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 you're totally cool, man. We keep all of the like really high psychotic murderers in a different, yeah. different area. You are completely safe. <clears throat> you don't have to, you don't have to worry about that. Like the likelihood of somebody attacking you is extremely low here. There's a deputy right outside, like 10 feet away from you at all times. You're probably going to be just fine. So don't worry about that. So he goes out and he did, you know, interact with people. And he was fine, totally fine. He left. I'm sure he probably never came back to jail again. And it was some terrible story that he tells people at cocktail parties or whatever now. But the the funniest part is that, I don't know how ethical this is, but it worked out at the time. The guy right next to him, in the cell right next to him, had murdered his father, like hacked him to death. Just like a couple days before and was totally psychotic murderer so i never i didn't tell him that because i knew that i mean they were totally safe in the guy like i wouldn't put him in a situation where he was um where he was scared but but i mean if i was honest with the guy i was like oh yeah you got a you got a horrible murderer like a psychotic murderer like on the other side of this cement wall next to you right now the dude would have never let it would have been just a total horror story for this guy but he went out and he was totally fine and he had no idea what was going on and everything was cool and and he left but it's just yeah this is some of the just crazy stuff that you experience in that environment is pretty amazing yeah i guess there's got to be a certain amount of that yeah a little bit of did you ever did you talk to that guy the guy that that killed his dad I think I did. I don't really remember the discussions with him. I think he was pretty psychotic at the time. 
He shaved his eyebrows. That's a that's a telltale sign of somebody being pretty psychotic. Anybody their... shaving their eyebrows is pretty much a dead giveaway. Like all of their, I say this is a bald guy too, by the way, but um, at least I have eyebrows. Um, but people, um, I don't know. It's a weird thing that psychotic people do sometimes. It's rare, but I've seen it happen on a couple of occasions and they're usually really psychotic when people shave their eyebrows. Do you know what that, like, is there any kind of particular reason or like a... I don't know. I, I think that people, especially experiencing like, uh, psychosis like schizophrenic um, breaks or psychosis um, they just disconnect from reality so much that they I don't know it's, it's much easier for them they lose a sense of their self to such a, a, an extreme degree that they do things like that um, kind of like when uh, Britney Spears shaved her head yeah <laughs> a little bit I, well I did have a client once that um, how do I even explain this he would shave opposite sides of his face and his head. So, for example, what? he would have a full beard on one side of his face, like perfect, perfectly symmetrical. And then the other side of his face would be completely shaved. And then like the top of his head, half of it would be shaved. And I asked him at one one point, I was like, what is the deal with the shaving, man? And um, he was he experienced I think it was schizophrenic as well. And I also think that he was doing a lot of meth at the time, but it, it was primarily um, schizophrenia that he was experiencing. And uh, it was kind of sad. He, he said, uh, it's the only time I feel balanced. Like it makes me feel like psychologically balanced when I'm. But how unbalanced must you be right in order to like have to do that such an extreme thing in order to feel balanced. Also, if you're a criminal, that's a really terrible way to like commit crime. I mean, I don't think you really cared about it that much, but yeah. that's a pretty much dead giveaway. It's like a, um, some of the gang dudes that just had tattoos all over their face. Oh yeah. It's like, what? you know, you're not going to get, <laughs> like, it's so obvious who you are. Like, yeah, why? Right? <clears throat> yeah. Not trying to be inconspicuous at all right now. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Giant would, schwatstika on your forehead. Yeah, it's not a dead giveaway. Would you say, I, I don't know, I feel like I'm seeing more and more face tattoos out in public. Would you say that you've been seeing more face tattoos in the jails and oh. such? Oh, geez. Uh, there's a. I mean, I figure there's probably so already a lot, but I just feel like lately I just. I keep seeing more and more young people with like face tattoos. Yeah, tats are really popular, especially in Portland. I mean, like, you're not a person unless you have. Do you have tattoos? No, I don't have any. Oh, okay, you're yeah. you're pretty rare. I don't have any either. Um, the the inmates used to ask me all the time if I had tattoos, and I would always tell them that I had Thug Life tattooed across my stomach. Heck yeah, and it was awesome because sometimes they would believe me, which is really really funny. <laughs> um, but no, I don't. I don't have any <laughs> tattoos. Um, Does Jeremy have any tattoos? Oh, he's got a ton. Oh, really? He's got a whole bunch of them. Really? Yeah, yeah. You should ask him about it. Yeah. Huh. Matt's got a bunch. I yeah. I see. I've seen Matt's because he's got. He's know, got some one, cool ones. Yeah. yeah, he does. I mean, he's got some pretty cool tattoos. But I didn't know Jeremy did. Oh yeah, he's got a whole think, bunch of tattoos. I think he had a jacket on the whole time he was here. But yeah, ask him about it next time you see him. I'll have to. Yeah. Yeah, he'll show you. He's got some really neat ones. Yeah. Hmm. yeah. That's pretty cool. <laughs> but yeah, I mean. um I don't know. I think I was just I was just in a Riley's picking up an auto, like a part from my car, and I just saw there was like a group of I don't know. There was probably like three or four of them. Like I don't know. I don't want to say kids because they're probably not that much younger than me, but mm -hmm. they were like I had to guess probably eighteen or nineteen. Yeah. 
and they had like all like all of them had face tattoos and i was like geez is that just gonna be the new trend is having like face tattoos i don't know it's so permanent like i can't yeah they weren't like they didn't look like they were done you're not gonna be working on wall street with yeah no no, a giant face tattoo you know i just oh i don't know i couldn't do it it seems like quite a commitment it does it's a huge commitment it's one thing for like post malone or someone to do it but yeah when you're already a millionaire and you can do whatever the hell you want all the money you need but uh right if you're just some you know some guy trying to make his way in the world yeah some rando dude just getting tatted up pretty brave pretty brave move but move but uh yeah there's some cool ones there there's this one guy the only tattoo story that i could think of right now um in the in the jail holy cow it was weird this guy had been in incarcerated for a long long time years and years and he so i went to talk with him and everybody referred to him as the black-eyed guy so he had no whites in his eyes at all and so of course we, we talk and he actually was really nice to chat with. We had a really nice, meaningful conversation. Also super weird to have eye contact with someone that you cannot see their pupil. It looks like just a giant black orb staring at you. Oh yeah. Two of them. So at the end, I'm like, man, I got to ask you like, what is up with the eye situation? Like what happened with that? And this guy had tattooed his own eyes in prison. Okay, so think about how crazy this is, right? Damn. So this guy goes out of his way to get um, some type of syringe, which there's, I mean, that's like huge contraband issues right there, right? But he got a syringe. He got black ink. And he, he, and can you imagine doing this? He stuck a fucking needle multiple times because he was like, oh, yeah, it took like six or 12 times on one. And then on the next one, I got it down to like four or five times. I'm like, are you shitting? Like, how? What kind of self-control must a human being have to stick a needle literally into their eye and inject it with ink? It was to- it was completely insane. So then he had made like um, kind of a black market thing of tattooing other people's eyes oh in the jail gosh. as well. So great place to get tattoos in general, by the way, is, is the, so. the prison system, but especially your eye, right? Like it is, I, I, it's incomprehensible. That people do things like this, but it was, it's totally a thing. Was he a pretty, like, was he a pretty, like, pretty mean dude? Like, was he pretty hard? Well, he looked terrifying. He looked like Satan. Like, I I was talking to Satan at the table. Um, But he actually was a really nice guy. Like, we we get along really well. I'm sure he had some mental health stuff going on. He was a fascinating individual, though. I mean, anybody that's, like, capable of doing that to themselves. And then when they can shove a needle in their eye a few times. It's crazy, right? I mean, I get, like, uh, hair in my eye, and it freaks me out. Like, I can't just end my – it's life-ending. I can't think of anything else at that point in time. I've never even had to put, like, contacts in my eyes, but I'm just, Yeah, it freaks me out. Putting eye drops in my eyes freaks me out. Could imagine shoving a needle in. My oh my eye. god, it's incredible! Yeah, this guy totally had done it like a whole bunch of times, stuck oh a needle gosh. in his eye. That's intense. <laughs> yeah, that that one's that's an interesting one. Tattooing the eyes, like yeah, it's weird because it's like you. I don't know. I I wonder. I've wondered like what what's the draw to doing that one? Because usually I would think it's like somebody know. that doesn't want to draw attention like it's somebody that's like kind of wants to be different and they they want to be like you know they, yeah. i don't know if you want to draw attention to yourself have 
perfectly black eyes, like no whites in them but whatsoever. Seems like it would be somebody that doesn't want to affiliate with other people. Like they kind of yeah. want to like they want to oh, be yeah, yeah. apart from others. But yeah. then again. You blacked out your eyes. Like, you're going to draw some attention. <laughs> well, that's you're, true, yeah. You're going to draw questions, you right. know, like. Well, it's like the people that walk around with all the tats yeah. all over their face, you know. It's it's just, it, it's certainly a part of it is social signaling. I don't think there's any doubt about that whatsoever. Like, people people are doing it because they want other people to look at that. They, yeah. they want them to recognize that that is a thing that they're doing. Um the motivations behind that again this is why psych is fascinating right it's like why what is going on within you that makes you want to do something like this yeah it's so interesting but it's funny because it's just like i feel like that kind of individual that would do that doesn't want to be talked to but if you do that you're gonna draw a question like you're gonna like i'm yeah. gonna want to come ask you like why did you do that oh absolutely like, yeah whether you want me to talk to you right now or not yeah that's beside the point. And like, the whole conversation in the back of my head is just like, I got to ask this dude about the eyes. Like, what is up with this situation? And you, you could tell by the way that he responded that he, of course, he gets asked that all the time. Like, how are you not going to get asked that question? You know, um, have you dealt with other people that did like self body modification? Like anyone else that done anything? <laughs> he had a guy in the prison <laughs> that before he left, he had... Other inmates had convinced him of this, um, but he, I didn't know this was a thing, but it is. He cut his penis open. Whoa. And, well, just wait. And he took a marble and inserted the marble into his penis. And then, um, shockingly, it became infected. And wow. That, yeah, that didn't go well. Yeah, just totally amazing that that, that would happen in a, in a prison. Wait, so like. Just cut it like straight down the middle, just like split it open. I'm not, I didn't see it, so I didn't really want to. Um, I'm not sure how he did this process, but I know he definitely inserted a marble into his penis and was very quickly regretting that decision. Oh, I'm sure, yeah, yeah. I feel like as soon as you made that (laughs) cut, you'd be like, This is a bad idea, I shouldn't have done this. But then he's like, You're okay, invested. well, let's just stuff a marble in there and see what happens. Yeah. Good grief. Did you know about this when you were walking into the conversation? Um, I think I heard about it afterwards, if I remember. And I, I think he pretty deeply regretted oh, I bet. his decision. Yeah. yeah. I can't imagine there's been too many guys out there that's ever cut them their penis. <laughs> Put a marble in it. Filleted it. And then it was like... <laughs> Yeah, this is I'm. This is I a guess, great idea. This is a good idea. I'm so glad I did this in prison. I got my head on straight, you know? I don't know. It depends yeah. on what head yeah, and how you cut it, it off. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If, the, if I ever had to do anything like that, though, I wouldn't want to be doing it in a jail or a prison. I wouldn't recommend that. Yeah, it's not the um, cleanest of environments. Yeah. No, not the most sterile place. <laughs> is there also, like, if you do do something like that where... I mean, do they have, like, a good medical staff usually at, like, jails and prisons? Like, if you end up getting stabbed or something, is there usually a pretty good team? Yeah, that like, yeah well, um, stabbing is a little bit of a different story. But um, they, they actually do. So a lot of people talk shit about the medical system in the jails. Um, and they're – how to explain it? So the nursing staff and the doctors, just like the mental health staff, they're exposed to a difficult – really difficult population right mm-hmm. so it's easy to get burned out on that if you work in a correctional environment for 20 years 
you're going to get burned out to some degree or another. Guaranteed. There's no way that's not going to happen. Um, some people don't, but almost everybody does if they work in there long enough. No, it doesn't mean that you can't give good care to people as well. And I've seen really, really good care, especially if, if somebody's life is on the line, like people will drop everything in order to deal with them. And in every facility that I've been in, it has had at least nurses. Um, the jail had doctors that were on staff there. Um, I mean, I've seen people giving people CPR and, oh yeah, they'll, they'll do whatever they can to help people. If, if it's an emergency type of situation, if somebody has a heart attack or something like that, they will just send them out um, to one of the local hospitals in the Portland metro area for oh, them to okay. take care of them. But um, stuff in-house, they will they will handle. Absolutely, yeah. They can do some, like, stitches and such. and They can, yeah. Stop a little bleeding, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Huh. That's good to know. I mean. Yeah. You know. It's, um. so some crazy things. Uh, most people don't know this. I've seen this multiple times, um, people getting shot. And then once they get stabilized in the hospital, they will just bring them into the jail. So I've talked with multiple people that had like a whole bunch of gunshot wounds. Wow. Like I'm talking with them as they're sitting, for example, in a wheelchair because they've been shot multiple times by police, like in a standoff. Jeez. And they're, I mean, they're, they don't have like tubes coming up. Well, sometimes maybe they do actually. Like colostomy bags and things like that. Yeah, I guess I guess that is true. But um, yeah, people with like halos on them, um, all kinds of stuff. I mean, it's I I didn't I would have never known that prior to working in the jail that like they're like okay this guy's not gonna die off you go to, <laughs> to jail you're wow. gonna heal up in there for a year or six months or whatever. Jeez. Yeah, weird. Yeah, yeah, it's incredible. You would think that they would wait till they're all healed up and then like okay nope. we're gonna. Bring you down. It's a lot of money for them to do that. It's it's a safety and security issue to have an inmate, even if they're severely injured, because you don't know if that person wants to escape or if they have like co-defendants that potentially want to like spring them, like some crazy movie or something like that. That's true. And like the overtime is crazy expensive because they have to have a deputy sitting there with them the entire time. Jeez, and yeah. yeah, forget that. Yeah, get them straight. <laughs> you know. Get yeah. Them, so they know. stabilize them and they're like, all right, you're good to go. As, wow. as long as you can get um, taken care of by a nursing staff and then you have a doctor checkups, which they can do in the jail, you're good to go. And they take them right to, right to the jail. Because that's what makes sense then. Yeah. I'm glad then, yeah. I'm glad taxes aren't just going to like. It the, saves, it certainly saves money that yeah. they do it that way. Yeah, for sure. That makes, yeah, that's, yeah. I almost said it. I almost said that makes sense. Like, oh, there you go. But, uh. Yeah, so I guess we're moving on to oh second beer. Here we next go. Next beer. So yeah. this is uh, Evil Twin Brewing Imperial Biscotti Break. So good. Wow. Such a good beer. Imperial Stout with coffee and with almond and vanilla added. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds evil Twin good. is great. Have you had many Evil Twin beers? I don't think I ever have. So good, man. They're they're amazing. Let me give it a try here. Oh boy. Wow. Yeah. That's that's a big boy beer. A little less uh, coffee like flavor than the espresso stout from Overcast. It's, yeah, I do like the. Uh, you definitely can pick up the almond and the vanilla. It's very sweet. Yeah. Yep. It's nice though. Deep dark flavors. Yeah. As soon as I was tasting, I was like, "Whoa!" Yeah. It's no joke. It's a it's a deep beer. I like it a lot. It's a it's a really good one. Yeah. 
Do you usually um are you cool with talking about D and D stuff at all? Oh, absolutely. Okay, I cool. love D and D. Yeah. So do you want to talk about like because you are the DM, right? I am the DM. Yeah. Okay. Do you usually drink? Do you guys have a few drinks while you guys are playing? Uh, usually I will. I don't want to. I ever, never really want to have too many because as the DM. Oh yeah. I I have a lot to keep track of, especially if we're like engaged in battles and conflicts and stuff like Somebody that. Somebody rolls a 20. You're like, that doesn't hit. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what's happening. I can't, I can't add right now. Um, no. So I'll, I'll drink lightly. I'll have a couple beers or whatever, but usually it's a um, pretty good way to keep me sober is to, to be DMing at the time. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's super, super fun. Have you been playing? I know you have a little bit of a history. What, what's your history with, yeah, so basically, like, growing up, I, I played it a few times with my brother and my uncle, um, a little bit here and there. And your uncle? And yeah, yeah. He That's was awesome. the one that kind of, like, got us into it. Like, That's cool. I don't know... I don't know if you've ever played like any of the Baldur's Gate games or like Icewind Dale or anything like oh, that. Oh, I know what they are, yeah. Yeah, they're very like kind of D&D based. You yeah. know, you got like yeah, roll yeah. to create your characters and everything like yep. that. So, I always love that stuff and everything. I, I I still play it now. Like they have it now you can download it on your phone and I still play Baldur's Gate. Yeah, it's awesome. And, they're having a bunch uh, of new games that are coming out actually. Yeah, I heard yeah. about that. I was super excited. Um, but so yeah, that there was that experience with that. He knew that we liked that, so mm-hmm. we played a little bit like with him. It was always just me and my brother, and then he kind of created like a little bit, nothing too too complex because I always chose some kind of fighter. I was always like, <laughs> I want to be like a ranger or you know whatever it is. Yeah, and my brother was usually some kind of caster for yeah. us, yeah, but yeah. we didn't have like you know another cleric, another rogue. Like we didn't have anything like that. Yeah. So, you know, he kept it pretty simple, but it was fun. And then... How old were you when this was going on? Well, I was probably like eight, nine, ten. Oh, you so, were young. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I was pretty young. Yeah. But it was a lot of fun. And then, um, then yeah, mostly I th- I was going to start one with, with Jeremy and Sean and Matt. And then for whatever reason, we never got that to kind of get off the ground. I think Justin, who was kind of... He was kind of coordinating it. Like, he got busy with other stuff. Couldn't make it happen. Okay. But I don't know him, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The, I'll, I'll tell you about that off mic. Um, <laughs> it's a whole different discussion. It's, yeah, it's interesting. <laughs> uh, but anyways, and so then I started one with my friends. And, uh, yeah, there's, I think, there's me, a girlfriend, friend Breton, Ben, Kate, and then we have a DM. So there's six of oh, us. Oh, there's a lot. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, how often do you guys play? Well, that's the thing is we played like twice and we started, we started initially, I think in like August or something we were meeting, we were going to meet like bi-weekly and then, I mean, a couple of them bought a house mm-hmm. and then one of them just found out they're having a kid. Yeah. Another one's kind of like got a job that takes them all over along the West coast. So everyone's kind of busy, Yeah. but yeah, we, we, we're trying to meet up again sometime soon. Coordinating but, it is really, really hard. And the more people that you have, the more exponentially difficult it gets to like yeah. get everybody together. Well, that's why I was impressed. Is like when Matt was like, "Yeah, we we do it," you know, just about every Saturday. I was like, "Wow, like that's intense." Considering that, like, you have a career, like mm-hmm. you know, Matt's busy and he's got you know wife and everything. And yeah, Jeremy, he's got a career that's pretty demanding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can have him busy at any time. Well, he had to take like a month or a month and a half off mm. recently. But then we did, I, I started a separate 
within the same world, the same campaign oh. world with um, with Matt and Sean. So yeah, yeah, we took kind of a tangent on the story, but it will tie in eventually. Yeah, yeah, I rolled a pretty decent dragonborn paladin nice that i've been like wanting to use yeah and so yeah they're great matt was like at some point you should just like come play come play you know through a, a round with us yeah yeah so I was like, i'd love to have you in there yeah yeah but is uh would you say that that's a pretty good escape for you from your work stuff does that help you kind of oh yeah get yeah. away from thinking about all that stuff yeah i love the D stuff so yeah so my history with it is that i played a lot when i was a kid i mean like i don't know grade school middle school um i don't know how much into high school not a ton into high school i guess maybe in the first couple of years and it was basically just me and like one or a couple other friends so i didn't have like a big group really that that yeah. we played with and that was like the old school like 2e rules second edition rules and then you know i got into <clears throat> later into high school got busy with other friends doing other things, um, college and all that. And I just didn't play at all for years and years and years, like decades. And then finally, um, I think Jeremy started playing. I know that Sean has played for a long time, like years. I don't think he ever really stopped, which is really cool that he has done that. Um, Jeremy started playing not that long ago. And then I was thinking about it and then I can't, remember even how it came about like we had done a couple one shots and then oh jeremy and i started we played a couple one shots together and then it just kind of morphed from there um where we decided like oh i guess sean and matt were both looking for a game so we're like okay well let's bring them in. and i didn't really know I, I had met matt before but i didn't know him in depth at all mm -hmm. so it's really interesting to start a game with someone that you really don't know oh yeah that's pretty fascinating that's what i was like i mean the first time i ever met sean or jeremy was when we met up to roll for this potential game that we were gonna play yeah so i was like this is gonna be interesting getting to know couple of guys yeah just playing D because &D, you, you have know? no idea like what this other per is this person gonna be cool or are they gonna be oh, a yeah. dick like what and they're talking about like you know creating their own like voices and everything and i was like oh, oh man, yeah i don't i don't do wild. that yeah like, you know if that if that's where it went but uh sean's really good at that by the way yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um no even their their backgrounds they had for their characters and everything i was like man they're not messing around. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm very in depth with that kind of stuff, especially the, the background stuff. This, it's kind of a weird tie in with like therapy and philosophy, I guess. Um, there, did you know that there is D and D therapy? This is a thing. Are you oh, aware really? of this? I've never heard of this. Yeah. It's crazy, right? Uh, I guess this is kind of a newer, newer thing. Um, and I can totally see how that works now. So it's been a really interesting experience for me to go from playing, as a kid that just wanted something to do, you know, mm -hmm. to like screw around with my friends and take my mind off of things. And that was before like really good video games and stuff. So that was basically all we had was I'm old, apparently. Um, that's all we had to like keep ourselves busy. But then nowadays it's really fun because so you have the draw of video games, which are super, oh, I almost said it, are incredibly immersive uh, and, and really fascinating and fun and, and interesting. But you also miss, or I, I guess, miss that social aspect of 
being like physically engaged with other people. Yeah. Uh, and D and D can provide that. And it is a really interesting dynamic to sit with other people, especially as a DM, um, because you have all of these different personalities that are engaging with one another and everybody brings, you know, aspects of their own personality. And so it's fascinating. Like people's characters can either play into their personality. Sometimes people will act very contrary to what their personality is. Yeah. Um, and those things are really interesting. And I think about, I've, I've heard about this D and D therapy thing. And I think about that sometimes like, Oh, I, I can understand how this really could play out that way because it, it it's a, a way that you can, I guess, step back from reality and still face your fears in a different way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I don't, I'm not doing like D and D therapy with my friends when I play with them. I'm not, yeah. but it just makes me like reflect on that and, and think about it. Um, yeah. It's, it's really fun to walk back into that space after all of these years of not playing at all. Yeah. Um, and just experiencing it in a different way, especially like with the, with the training that I have in psychology and then, um, you know, I try and bring like philosophy elements and, uh, stuff like that in there. It's it's really fun. I really really enjoy it. Mm-hmm. I like it a lot. I guess a lot of people don't like DMing, which I also find bizarre. It's well, a lot of work, but it's fun. Yeah, I think that's kind of the part of it. Is it's like there's people that really appreciate the opportunity to write a story mm-hmm. and, and you know have to put up. I mean, I think there's people that yeah they like writing a story, but they don't want it to be subject to change. You know? Yeah, they they don't like the idea of like. Well, I wasn't really planning on him rolling that well. Right. Like that has changed all my plans. Right, you know? right, right. Yeah. And there's other people that like the idea of that. Like yeah. something they have to keep on making like, you know, little incremental changes here and there mm-hmm. and everything and tweaking it. Yeah. And I think to those people it's exciting, but to other people like that just sounds stressful. Yeah, it's it's a whole it's a like a learned skill. I'm yeah. I'm definitely and I'm in my infancy infancy in dming i i wouldn't say that i'm really good at it but um i try to be but yeah you're totally right uh it's cool because you'll i'll have a general idea of where i want things to go and i always kind of keep it in the back of my mind i always think that okay there's going to be like a there's going to be some upset like a player moment where yeah i i where i have this thing planned and the whole group is going to be like we're not going to do that. We're yeah. going to do something completely, completely different. Uh, okay. And that happens almost every single time. And it's good for me because I am a really planful kind of person. Like I, for everything in my life, not just D&D, but in general. And it, again, this is kind of that therapeutic aspect, right? It forces me to say, okay, there are things that are outside of my control and I need to be responsive to how other people are dealing with this situation. So, you know, I want them to go to this city or do this one thing. And they're like, yeah, we're not going to do that. We're going to go over here and we're going to do this thing. Okay. Well, I, I need to be, how, how am I going to deal with that? Right. Yeah. And it will, sometimes it like last time we played, it totally threw me for a loop. I didn't know what the hell to do uh, in yeah. response to it, but it's really, it's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. That, that even came up with, uh, with uh, one of the, you know, games I played with my friends and everything, like there was kind of an opportunity to, you know, like we kind of came across like a, a captive figure that was some kind of monster that mm. is like, do you interact with it? Do you release it? And yeah. we're just kind of like, 
you know, literally rolled the dice and are like, yeah, I mean, I guess we'll go ahead and release it and see what happens. And it turns out that that saved us a lot of time. Okay. Like yeah. fighting people yeah. and everything. And it was just like thinking back, it was like, and he, and the DM said, like, I did not plan on you guys releasing him. Like I didn't, <laughs> but you save yourself a lot of time. Yeah. And so it was like, yeah, no, it's interesting how they can be writing a story and a plan and they're so tied to like, yeah, yeah this is the way things are going to go. And then all out the window. Yeah, yeah. All out the window with a few nice rolls, you know, or whatever. It yeah. Is. No, it's totally true. And that, that's the, um, the collaborative, that's really what it is more than anything else is collaborative storytelling. Yeah. And, um, you know, like Jeremy is a writer, like he, this is literally what he does. And, uh, I like, writing um I, I like creative writing and stuff like that but um i don't do that very often i'm more of like an idea big picture person and i like dming because it allows me to do that really easily yeah um i don't have to go incredibly in depth and although i do write really long backstories sometimes on on people but uh it's it's a great creative outlet and a great social outlet with your peers and i see how all of those things play into um things like therapy it, it totally totally makes sense and yeah and philosophy and ethics morality all that stuff it's it's a really amazing way to storytell with people that you care about that you yeah that you love and care about it's it's great i always thought it was like just crazy how invested in some characters you can become and yeah. like i don't know have you ever heard of the podcast the adventure zone i've heard of it yeah i haven't listened to it yet but oh, i've heard man. of it you should listen to it like the first uh so the first like two and a half or three years of them recording that was over um kind of one arc like one storyline mm, mm -hmm. and everything and it just kind of took them in all kinds of different directions just so like two kids and their dad is that the uh, it's deal three, or? it's three brothers and their dad okay, okay and a few of them i think had played i think they had all three of the brothers had all played D D, and their dad had never played before that's awesome yeah. and it was so it's so funny like you know their dad having to learn as they go memorize spells and keep you know track of oh his yeah character sheet and that's everything. great and so um <laughs> It was, it was just really funny and good for uh, him for going along with that by oh, the way yeah no he was that's great. really I mean, cool i think it was amazing that they were all able to find time even though a lot of them live in different i think two of them live in one state and the other two are in different states oh wow so they did like kind of a skype recorded conversation okay and the quality is really good and everything but um i mean by the in the beginning it's really it's just it's solely mostly humor and then in the core of it, it's a lot of like, you know, plot twists and changes and everything. Mm -hmm. And then towards the like end, it's very like you're emotionally invested. Like I was, I yeah. was listening to this at work. There's a few moments I'm like tearing up <laughs> listening to certain parts of it. I'm That's like, awesome. Holy shit. Yeah. Like, you know, things that I don't know. I can still like think of there's certain parts of it. Like when I think about it, it like makes me like want to like tear up a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. But it's like. And I remember telling my girlfriend about this and she just like kind of laugh about it and everything and just think it's funny. But it's like, it's like, well, do you appreciate like a good story? Like, mm -hmm. do you like a good book? Yeah. Like this is the same exact thing, but it's somebody writing it with the, 
with the chance of it having to change and they need to, uh, you know, yeah, they have to adapt to those changes and try and keep making it a good story. Yeah. Keep making it interesting. Yeah. And so that's why I don't get why people are so like hesitant or like, you know, they, there's like this weird like thing with like D and D, like some people like, like, oh, whatever. That's a nerd. It's like, well, there's a, yeah, there's still the stigma of, yeah, yeah there's it's some weird like the stigma thing. Yeah. It. It's like, but I love that it has this huge resurgence now. You oh, know, yeah. it's so huge in popular media and everything. I, th- yeah. I think that that's awesome. It's I think Stranger really Things kind of help with that too. That helps, yeah. yeah. People like um, Vin Diesel and Joe yeah. Manganiello, however you say his name. People like that. Yeah, it's it's yeah. great. So I think that yeah, there's more D and D podcasts opening up all the time, mm-hmm. and it was kind of funny. One of the, my friends that was like running a podcast that was a. Uh, it was solely focused on current events and drinking beer. Um, he'd been doing that for years and he had like, he just, I think had an opportunity to do some like ad revenue. Mm. And then he started a D and D podcast. And I think by the second episode, like audible reached out to him. And oh, was wow. like, do you want to do ad reads for us? And wow. Like, any, you know, like, so that's really cool. So D and D is definitely, it's an in thing right now. Yeah, that's for it's sure. in. But I just don't get why it was, why was it ever not in? Like, it's like, <laughs> it's cool. I mean, there's so many different things. Like, there's like limitless things that you can do. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. Like, I was like thinking, like, oh, the Adventure Zone. Like, they should make a movie. Like, I totally want, they should make like a TV series or something. Well, like, maybe they will, yeah. yeah. Well, isn't that the Critical Role guys are actually doing that now, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, saying, yeah they have a pretty good one too. But yeah, I don't know. I, I love D and D. I think more people should play it. Like you said, it's a good creative outlet and mm-hmm. everything. And, Absolutely. Um, yeah. And one thing that is kind of unfortunate with like playing video games is it's like, yeah, you're like working through stories and achieving things, but it's usually like on your own. Mm-hmm. Whereas that social element is, I mean, I guess unless you're playing PVP or whatever, but even then the, the social aspect of it is very different than sitting at a table with people for hours on end. Yeah. Like communicating a story to one another. Which even um even if you're playing like let's say you're playing like Call of Duty multiplayer and you're not you're not like interacting with other people. Like that's one thing. Right. But if you do like Call of Duty or Battlefield multiplayer and you're in like a, a chat with all of your friends mm-hmm. and like you're like, Okay dude, like you, you should be an engineer, uh you should be a medic, I'm gonna go ahead and cover assault, like and you kind of work in a collaborative effort yeah. to achieve something, that's yeah, yeah. different. Like right. that's that's cool, you know. Right. That's a good thing to do. Absolutely, yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I think that D and D definitely does fill a gap of like working with other people, having a some form of communication with mm-hmm. others. Well, to... I, yeah, I, I think that it just it reflects this need for um, social communication and interaction among friends. Yeah. Uh, in our current modern world, like mm-hmm. it's so easy to get. Um, simulacrums of that from social media or video games, but that there's something just lacking in that human connection that, that people get from D and D. And I think that people society is kind of slowly realizing that and D and D isn't the only outlet of that, but it's a a really good example of how that kind of interaction can develop um, as a result of the game. It's, it's really fun. I really really enjoy it. I think more people should reach out and start putting together groups, you know, to play it. Absolutely. It's, I yeah. mean, I love like even 
last time we played, my girlfriend made like a big like thing of salsa and got some chips and everyone just had a few drinks. And nice. We were just yeah. like having fun while we were playing it, yeah. you know, and everything. And I think that, it's like an event, right? Yeah. It's, it's a big thing. It's like a party. Yeah. And even, um, one of my friends' girlfriends and then my girlfriend, they're both a little hesitant. Like, they're like, uh, I'm unsure. And even, <laughs> do I really want to do this? Yeah. yeah. My girlfriend, when uh, it wasn't until we went camping and three of us, while we were camping, like, we, you know, we went down to the beach and we came back and we we're just kind of chilling around the campfire. And I was like, okay, cool. Like, I need to start creating my character sheet and everything. Mm. And so we were all involved. And she liked the idea. She likes a good story and everything. Yeah. And so she got inv- in, invested in a little bit. She's like, I guess, you know, I could be a tabaxi and, you know, I like cats and everything. <laughs> and she was like, she was like, I guess I could be a bar. Like I'd be a cat that like plays music, you know? And everything. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. And I could so, do that. And so, um, so she got invested in it from that point of view. <laughs> That's awesome. And then she kind of found that it's, it's exciting when a roll of the dice can really be a, a really positive thing in the middle yeah. of battle or even like the development of the story, or it can be a really bad thing. Yeah. Change things, make a little bit of fun stress, you know? Yep, exactly. So, yep. I don't know. There's always this randomized element to yeah. it, which is fascinating because you really never know how things are going to work out. Yeah. You could be the most, uh, OP character, you know, have you, you know, the best shit, you know, and everything mm-hmm. all decked out. But I mean, if you roll and, it doesn't land critted out. Yeah. yeah. You know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, um, yeah, no D and D is a lot of fun. Yeah. Do you ever ref- like, d- have you ever brought that up to somebody that you like when you're doing your therapist work, have you ever been like, you know, have you ever considered like maybe interacting with others and like some kind of like a tabletop game or like any kind like do you well, ever... like recommended D D? yeah to like, no, I've, ever done... I've never done that directly i can imagine doing that though like if i if i talked to someone that had expressed interest in it and i thought that they would benefit from social interaction i mean if that was something that they really wanted to work on i would absolutely encourage them to do it for sure yeah yeah and it's so it's so easily accessible now with like adventure league and um it's really easy to find. Yeah, isn't there? A game. Isn't there like, isn't there places where you can go and just like jump in on a game? Aren't there? Like Those are the adventure like, league. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, meetup is the way that I've found them. But you can, I think, on Facebook too. It's pretty easy to find it as well. But they have adventure league games everywhere, all over the United States. I think probably worldwide at this point. Hmm. Um, I'm sure, yeah. I'm sure you could go online and on Facebook, like just. Oh yeah. Does anyone want to play a little like D and D? Message me. Or yeah, like, yeah. Even then, I think you'd be surprised how many of your friends, you know, would want to be tr- would want to try that, or maybe some other kind of, you know, yeah, some other kind of tabletop game that's like that. And now that it's getting more popular, I think that people, even if they haven't played, they've heard about it and feel a little bit more comfortable. Like the social stigma is wearing off a little bit. Yeah. Um, it's kind of becoming like a cool, you know, hipster nerdy kind of thing to do. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's, people are, are more inclined than ever to be able to, to be willing to engage in something like that now. Mm. Yeah. It's great. Yeah, no, it is great. I love it. And I, I think it's, it's fun talking to people because I think I love hearing about it because I grew up, you know, playing and, I just always love the idea of that kind of mythical world mm-hmm. and 
you know, I don't know. It's exciting to hear other people sling around the term like druid and cleric yeah. and everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. I don't know. And talking about spells, you know. Yeah. It's just well, like, There's so much possibility involved in it, you yeah, know. And there's so much possibility involved in... Again, it's that creative element that's just so fascinating. Do you DM for that or does somebody else that you know it's a, do that? It's, um, yeah, it's another... It's one of my friends, somebody that I've kind of knew always like growing up okay we went to the same school even from like elementary school on he moved away but anyways we've been kind of re you know re like a reacquainted after high school kind of thing but he does it and he's a very intelligent dude i think he works for adobe or the company that we work for was bought out by adobe and he kind of works in like it and such like that so he's a very intelligent dude and he's really creative as well yeah um and i think it's funny because I brought it up. Like, my friend that was in the army that wanted to get into D&D, he kind of had to quietly, like, reach out to, like, so what do you, what do you think of D&D? You know, like, <laughs> Just curious. Uh... And then he, he, kind of, <laughs> he kind of formed his own group by doing that. And, like, a few of them, like, well, I bet, you know, if we talked to so-and-so, I bet he'd be down. He'd probably do it. And so <laughs> like he, they're forming a secret alliance. Or yeah. So, so they, that was kind of the, like, little thing that they would do you know when they didn't have to do army stuff they'd mm-hmm. be like playing D. and then when he um he got out of the army and he was moving back up here he was like hey man like we should do some kind of D stuff like i still uh mm. i got an itch i gotta get back into it you know <laughs> and everything and he was telling me like I, and i told him I'll, I'll ask around and see if i can get some other people and he's like okay like I've just been reading manuals, you know, I've just been, <laughs> I need to get back into it. So, um, I asked, yeah, a few people and I brought it up to him and our, our now like DM, he was like immediately like very interested. He was into it. Like, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Did I've, he play before or what was, um, I think he'd been exposed to, I don't think he'd ever DM before, but oh, he's, interesting. Okay. he's very interested in like learning more about like our characters backgrounds and trying to incorporate it into his kind of story development. Yeah. Yeah, like, yeah, he yeah. wants to be as like creative about it as possible. Yep. That's what so, I try and do too. Yeah. He, yeah, he's not just like, all right, you guys wander in that bar, and there happens to be like five Umber Hulk in there. What do you do? <laughs> you know, right, like, right. roll for initiative. <laughs> well, and it, yeah, D&D is such an interesting thing because you can – so you can make – I mean, you could go online and like random a dungeon and just like dungeon hack yeah. for a night if you want to with your friends, and that's totally cool if you want to do that. That's like the, the pop music equivalent of D&D, right? Mm-hmm. Or um, you can go – extremely in depth as to so i really like i like it to be i guess i kind of uh approach D in the same way that i approach clients i was trying to think of like how to tie this in with with psych but um because i think that there's so many parallels there really are i like it to be player centered so i prefer my clients or <laughs> sorry michael i'm really going down the rabbit hole now um the players that i deal with uh, which are m- my friends, but I, I want them to enjoy it, right? So I yeah. want them to be like sucked into it. So what what do you want? Like, what do you want to be? Um, what race do you want to be? What kind of class do you want to be? Do you have an idea of a backstory that you that you want? Let's talk about that. And then we'll kind of collaboratively come up with that. And then I'll write like a whole backstory that leads into the story that they're walking into. And that is so much fun to do that. And then to try and figure out ways in the midst of the story to tie those things together. So yeah. I remember the backstories for them when we're, when we're playing now 
and I try and figure out ways to incorporate elements of that. So like, oh, can we figure out, like I'm gonna bring this person back so that they can experience this person that they have only talked about in their backstory. Mm -hmm. um, that's really fun for me to oh, do yeah. things like that. I yeah. love it. Yeah. I always love watching like somebody, even during like the simplest like exchange between, you know, just a character that the DM kind of generated, you know, just mm -hmm. for us to have to like an NPC, some yeah, random yeah. NPC. And then like somebody be like, I attack the guy, I punch him in the face and you can just see the DMs like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Go ahead and roll a dice. Yeah. 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 Things like that kill kill a DM. By the way, just to say you're aware, I've been through that multiple times. Yeah, I'm just gonna murder hobo everyone. And, yeah, right. That's great. Thank you. Yeah. It's just funny. I just love watching the DM just like, <laughs> okay, uh, that really changes things. I think last time we played, they were just trying to screw with me when they're like, oh, we're gonna go to this haunted city and walk through it. I'm like, I'm not sure if you. No, no, we want to do that. Yeah, absolutely. We're gonna. Okay. Thanks, guys. Just see how creative you can be on your feet. Yeah. You walk 10 feet into the city and you get attacked. So, Oh, geez. We'll talk about it. Well, I guess going back to um, kind of your clients and everything and those that you've dealt with and mm. everything, what kind of like what were your most like challenging kind of interactions with people, I guess? Do you have any that stand out in the past? That you're challenging. Like, Oof. Wow. Um, did you ever have like any kind of like a, like a goodwill hunting kind of like connection with somebody where they're super <laughs> like resistant and then you guys kind of found like a little bit of, Oh yeah, absolutely. I, I think I was, I am hopefully, uh, maybe I'm talking myself up too much. I think I am really good at connecting with that kind of clientele. I, I don't know. It's just something I think that I'm kind of naturally good at. I think my personality fits in well with that population, I guess, with, with a forensic population. I can't think of like a, a goodwill hunting-ish type of story, but I've had just extremely meaningful sessions with people. I mean, I, I don't know how far to go down the rabbit hole, but I, you know, I, I talked to a guy about what it was like to he said accidentally kill his girlfriend. Um, and I mean, there's a lot of circumstances behind that, but speaking to someone, again, this is one of those discussions that people don't have. Like this is the most profound moments of this individual's life. Um, and to sit there with them when they have no one. So they, when you're in jail, especially you can't call family members and talk with them about this because all your conversations are recorded, right? Mm -hmm. Unless you're talking to a lawyer, um, everything is recorded and your, your lawyer is not your counselor. So you can't have discussions about what's going on psychologically with you. You don't want to talk to other inmates because they could potentially rat on you. Yeah. So you have to keep that stuff bottled up inside. And I was one of the very few people that a lot of these people felt like they could communicate openly with um, without fear of repercussion. And that that's a really amazing place for me to be in. Um, and again, that goes back to what I was saying before. Like I feel really privileged to have been in that position where I could hear these people's, I'm the holder of these stories for people that mm -hmm. um, 
are just so deeply struggling with what the hell do I do? Like, what does it say about me as a person where I didn't, I've never been in trouble before and I've killed someone, right? Or what does that say about my addiction? Because I was drunk or high when I did whatever I did. Like, what does that say about me as a person? Um, how am I going to live the rest of my life when I know that I'm probably going to go to prison for the rest of my life? I mean, th th those are just am amazing, meaningful, touching discussions to have with people. And it was routine that, you know, some of the biggest badass um, gangster dudes would be, you know, crying yeah. in my office as we were talking about these things. And um, I don't take that lightly. That was, those are really meaningful connections with people um, to hear the, the guilt and remorse that they didn't, they didn't stand to gain anything from really gaming me. I, I don't give them anything other than the opportunity to talk that, I mean, I, I suppose they could be lying, but I seriously doubt that they were not everyone was lying. There's, there's no way that that's the case. I think the vast majority of the time people were really, really honest with me in there. Um, and those are just such meaningful engagements with them. Cause I'm in those moments, I was kind of the only lifeline that they had to someone that they could trust and confide in. And that's a really big place to be. Um, so I reflect on that often. I mean, those were the communications that were really meaningful and important to me. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That would be interesting watching someone that's, you know, they kind of got to emit some kind of, uh, yeah, like you were saying, these like kind of like gangster, like people that you know they want to be perceived as being like, uh, you know, tough, and yeah. they want to be, you know, they just want to admit that they that they are like don't don't fuck with me, like right. I'll, you know, right, and then they can break it, they can break down when they just are really evaluating some of their life situations, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and talk through it. That'd be. It'd be pretty eye-opening. It'd be, I, it'd be in, intense. So people people that do, especially private practice, they get boarded, right? So they um, they get licensed and then they apply for boards in order to get on insurance panels or whatever. I'm one of the few people that I know that has been uh, like approved by uh, specific gangs. Really funny. So there was a couple times in, in the jail and prison system, they call them shot callers. These are people that are high-ranking in the jail or prison and they usually control like units of the the facility that you're in and i got approved <laughs> by one in particular but i think several several uh different gangs but one in particular where the shot caller was telling me that he was sending uh other gang members of his unit oh, wow. to me because he was like i know that this that this, this this dude is good to talk to you you're he would say things like i know you're crazy you got to go talk to jason like and he would like order them to do wow. it you got to go talk to you gotta go talk to him because you have Jeez. mental health issues so he's like ordered by some gang approved to, to do to do therapy but that's that's hilarious, right? Like, Jeez. who is who is gang approved to do therapy? That's really funny. That's pretty cool, though. Yeah, that's yeah. gonna feel good. <laughs> it's like, it's the most approved. bizarre compliment I've ever had in my life.
Would they tell you like what gangs they're affiliated with? Oh yeah, I was fascinated by the gang lifestyle. Oh yeah, there's. Mm. Oh yeah. Was, was there one that stood out that is like more prevalent than others? There's first of all, there's lots of gangs in the Portland metro area. I I don't think really. I'll, oh, a lot, like a whole bunch of I different mean, I gangs. I think there's a few. Like there's a there's, there's a, a lot. lot. Yeah. Wow. There's a lot of different gangs. Um. They often break down, not all the time, uh, it's not 100% dividing line, but they often break down by um, race. And the reasons that that is, is because a lot of those people wind up incarcerated and people segregate naturally by race in incarcerated environments. Um, again, that's not tried and true. There's crossover between, but uh, that is pretty common. So there's like white gangs, black gangs, um, Hispanic gangs, Asian gangs. Um, and they... Yeah, they can be extremely violent. The, the, I guess the the one, the biggest concern that I would have would be like the biker gangs. Biker really? biker gangs are real deal. Like I would not, I would not mess with a biker gang. No, and I know some pretty high ranking. I've talked to several pretty high ranking members of the biker gangs, but I would not mess with those guys. No. Yeah, I know we have a few of those around. Like there was like one time, I was uh oh, I was at just the Harley dealership here mm-hmm. and everything. And me and my friend, we just like you know, yeah. I don't think we, I think we rode there and we're just kind of hanging out. And then we were there past closing time, and me and him were just shooting this shit. And for whatever reason, there was like a group of like Gypsy Jokers yeah. that met up over in like yeah, the corner Gypsy's of the lot. hardcore, yeah, yeah. And so we were kind of like, we should get the hell out of here. And yeah. Then, I don't know. I know Especially went, if they have rockers and stuff. If they've got like all the stuff in the back of their jackets. Yeah. I, I would not play with yeah. those guys. Yeah. Same with, I know um, there was some Mongols that like pulled over, like one of my friend's uh, dads, he was just, he, he just rides for fun and everything, but yeah. he had like a, a pirate patch on his back uh, and everything. And he just, he just had it on there cause he liked it. And some, they followed him to wherever he stopped and they're like, do you want to talk to us about that patch? Like, what is that supposed to mean? Yeah. And everything. And he was they like, probably thought he was part of a yeah. different sect. Yeah. And so he was like, I just like it, man. And they're like, well, like, how about we take it off? Like, what do you think <laughs> of that? And then he was like, I'm just going to take off and everything. And I mean, he used to be in the military. So there was a certain sense of like, he, he felt okay, but he didn't want any issues. Yeah. Like, he's like, I'll make it clear. Like, if you're gonna do anything, I'm not going down without a fight. But right, right, like you know, this doesn't really, have to go down like yeah, this. this. Yeah, I'm not, I'm here. not an enemy kind of yeah. thing. Yeah, so he was able yeah. to leave, but yeah, and then yeah, my some of my other friends, they used to live like right next to a brother speed, <laughs> like little meetup and yep. everything. And I don't know, there's a few times I go over and park right out front of their thing. And I was like, there's nowhere else to park. <laughs> Shit, <laughs> I'm gonna regret coming back to my car in a couple hours. Yeah, right. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, and they were all kinds of rowdy, even, mm-hmm. like, rain or shine. They'd just be ripping and going. Oh, yeah. I yeah. don't know. They're intense for sure. Yeah. Yeah, The the as far as American homemade, the biker gangs I wouldn't mess with. And then internationally, the cartels are real deal. Like, oh, yeah, I've heard they're pretty, uh, pretty fierce. Their reach is incredible. And really? the things that they're capable of is unbelievable i don't think most people in america really understand like mexico is a narco state it is controlled by cartel by the cartels yes Hmm. absolutely and is there how are 
how are cartels i guess kind of like like differentiated like is it just all who each cartel answer answers to or it do they all kind of work as like their own like they do cartels have some kind of understanding like hey we're all trying to or is there like wars between different cartels yeah well kind of all those things i mean i know i'm not an expert in the cartels but i i was totally fascinated by gang i am fascinated by gang lifestyle and i talked to a lot of members of it's different interesting gangs. yeah all over the portland metro area and i was always really curious about these things um so i talked to them a lot and some of the yeah some of the cartel stories are are totally crazy and um so you, you, all of the things that you said are correct. Uh, in jails and prisons, they're in America. They're it's different. So they they separate into Norteños and Sureños. So Northerners versus Southerners, and then there's like the Mexican Mafia, which is involved. But I I can't I think they're Sureño. I can't remember exactly which which side they have a tendency to affiliate with. But that's way different than in Mexico. There's like a whole bunch of different cartels but that's not how they segregate in the american prison system typically as far as i know um but it's important to remember that these cartels are literally multi-billion dollar businesses and most people don't think of them that way but that's exactly what they are and instead of like hr departments they have people with machine guns like a lot of people with machine guns and um their reach goes way beyond the Mexican-American border. I mean, they, they have people all over the Portland metro, like all over the United States. Oh, Anywhere really? that people are willing to take drugs, the cartel is, I mean, because it's a business, right? A businesses are, will expand anywhere that there's a market that's available to them. So the cartel's presence is basically worldwide. Well, they're all over the place, yeah. I mean, I've t- I talked to, I'm trying to think of some of the stories that, that I've heard, um, like people getting forced into the business is is fascinating as well. Like there was one guy I was talking to that said some he owned a he owned a business in Mexico and some random guy that he doesn't know at all has never met before walks in and is like, "Oh, this this phone is for you." and is trying to hand him a cell phone and he's like, "That's what are you talking about? That's not my phone." And he's like, "No, no, no, no. This phone is for you. You need to you need to pick this phone up." So he's like, okay, whatever. So he picks the phone up and says, hello. And there's somebody on the other end. And this guy goes, oh, your name is so-and-so. You live at blank, 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 knows his address. Your wife's name is blah, blah, blah. Your son's name is blank. Your daughter's name is blank. They go to school here. Knew everything about this guy. And then they're like, okay, so what you're going to do is you're going to get this package and you're going to deliver it to this place. (laughs) They do stuff like this all the time. And this guy, like what put yourself in that person's position. Yeah. And I'm assuming that he's not lying to me when he's telling me this, but I, I don't think that I think he was truthful. I mean, what the hell are you going to do? Especially when you live in a country where 30,000 people are at minimum are murdered a year. How are you going to deal with this? Right? Like, yeah, they know everything about you. What are you going to do? It, it is an absolutely terrible situation for these people to be, to be placed in. Oh yeah. And that happens all the time down there. And it, it, that spills over into America because we have the money and the, the desire to use tons and tons of drugs. and Yeah, tying back to last, the last conversation, it's kind of like that uh, – it's kind of like Black Mirror, like that one episode mm-hmm. where yeah. this 
entity finds out these bad things that these people have done and get them to do horrible things for them, you know, whether oh, it's yeah. robbery or if it's, you know, whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. What's that, the dance episode the, with their internet trolls? Is that the one yeah. that you're talking about? Yeah. I yeah. show that to the inmates too. Yeah. yeah. It's great. And, uh, Shut yeah. Up and Dance, I think that's the name of it. It's, uh, that's unfortunate. That's intense. Mm hmm. Yeah, it's, um, it's really crazy. I talked to a guy that was relatively high up in the cartel and you can kind of tell how high up they are because the, the higher up they go, the less that they're willing to tell you. But he, he was willing to go into it a little bit with me, but he said he was from Mexico. He come here, they get paid like a salary. Um, he, all he did was like organized distribution and, um, he wasn't that, that worried. He's like, you know, I think I, I might get deported. If I do, I'll just go home. It's not a big deal. As and The issue is as long as you don't rat. If you rat, you and your whole family is probably going to get murdered. But if you stick behind them, they're They'll probably going to pay you. for your lawyer. Yeah, they're, your family's going to be fine. And when you get out, if you were a good boy when you were down, you can go back to some kind of life I mean, I guess if, there. if you know it. Because, I mean... Here, if you get arrested and you have a regular job, there's a, a good chance you're going to get fired, depending on what it is yeah, that you got arrested. That's really for. common, yeah. But if your employer is like, "Hey, man, just don't don't tell them anything. Just do whatever they want you to do. You get back here, like we'll take care of you." And yeah. it's like, yeah, well, I guess in that case, especially if you're making a good salary, yeah, from the yeah. cartel, like it would be like, well, I'll just serve my time. There's, and, there's a huge draw. I mean, they they provide um yeah services i think sometimes more than what their government does in their their country it's that's insane it is it's like it it seriously is like a business it like, is it literally is a multi-billion dollar many of them i mean it, this is i don't think people understand how significant this is the u.s has created this by the way from their drug policy so good job america on that one um and we're partly responsible for all of those tens of thousands of deaths that happen as a result of that, might I add. Um, but yeah, we've completely upended the entirety of Central America and <laughs> the yeah. Southern Hemisphere. Like South America is a disaster as a result of what we have done. And it's, um, yeah, in large part, uh, cartels control a lot of those areas. It is crazy how the choices that we make here in America can greatly impact the economy or the infrastructure of like the cartels oh, or yeah. that whole world. Huge, huge. I was talking, I was talking yesterday with a um, a coworker in a meeting. We were talking about the kind of the footprint of you know where we work when somebody orders our product. How many lives does it touch? You know, mm. whether it's the the people that work for you know, UPS or FedEx or whoever wants to pick it up. Yeah. You know, it helps them. It helps, you know, whoever works in stores that sell our product, mm -hmm. it helps. And so it's, it's intense how, um, the decisions of some business or of a country or a state, their, their laws in this instance mm -hmm. can affect the economy and oh, yeah, yeah. the structure of a, of a whole another, yeah cartels you know yeah and when you think about 
I mean, you could extrapolate that way out, right? Like, where did the metal come from, right? Somebody, somebody mined that metal. Yeah. Who created uh, the tools that they use to mine those things? I mean, you can. This Machinery. is this is the beauty of globalization, right? Is because um, we have this ability to like globally reach out and gather resources from all over the place. Um, everybody's benefited by this kind of free trade as a result of that, but also things like cartels flourish in that kind of environment as well yeah um and then it you know it's ironic because americans then and i'm not saying people shouldn't go to mexico or whatever but i guarantee you if you go to mexico to a nice resort some of the money that you're paying for things there absolutely goes to a cartel guaranteed wow guaranteed you are supporting a cartel by going to it doesn't matter what nice resort you go to a part of what you are spending will go to them in one way or another it could be skimmed off the top. It could go to someone that gets a tip that that money then goes to the cartel or whatever. That's insane. But, that, you know, Mexico is an inc extremely violent society because of the drug issues that they have there. And you're telling me that you're in whatever super nice resort and, oh, that's completely fine. There's no issues there. Well, the reason that there's no issues there is because they know that they it doesn't benefit them to be running around with machine guns shooting all of the Americans that are down there. Mm -hmm. But things like that happen, you know, 10 feet outside of the door of these nice places. There's people getting killed or getting their heads cut off and their bodies thrown in the street. Yeah, we're, we're pretty privileged to live in a country where we don't have to worry about the cartels like kidnapping us or forcing us into, you know. Like, well, it does. It happens here. And it's not as, as, it's not as prevalent. prevalent. Yeah. yeah, it certainly isn't. But, um, but I mean, yeah, in other countries, like. There's a good chance that if you grow up in those, you know, Southern American countries, at some point, like your life is probably going to be touched by the cartels, yeah. like for sure. Yeah, yeah. Whereas here, it's like, I mean, as far as I know, I haven't had any issues with the cartels. Well, that's yet, good. You, know? so, you probably know if you did. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I hope I never do, but um, it's just crazy how much of a of a hand that they have in the economy down there and I, everything. It really is. I mean, it, yeah, it's, they are more of a government than their actual governments yeah. in the countries are. And they, they have far more power. Yeah. Well, it's weird that like, you're almost better off working for the cartels than yeah. Having a job that is legitimate in the, in one of these Southern American countries, like mm -hmm. you were saying, like they, they can offer more to their, quote unquote employees then you know <laughs> if you choose to work for the you know mexican government right I mean, it's unfortunate or they could force it on you really yeah. easily i mean that, that's a common term i i can't remember what the actual terminology is but it's something like either letter gold right like you choose to either we're gonna pay you or we're gonna kill you you choose right now which which you're gonna choose let letter gold right yeah and i i had um several clients that i talked to when i was in the jail that were Mexican citizens that were extremely likely to be deported, like they were distributing or whatever and, and were caught. They were part of the, the cartel process mm -hmm. and they knew that they were going to be killed. And it was horrible. I mean, I, the things that these people went through was terrifying. So first of all, they're incredibly scared that their family is going to be butchered in yeah, Mexico. Yeah because they can't get to them here, right? And then secondly, they know that when they get deported, they're going to get taken 
on a plane to Mexico City and they're going to get dropped. They'll open the doors and let them out. Okay, good luck. And they could live in Michoacan or wherever and have to, you know, I'm hundreds of miles away from where my family is, if they even still exist. And the cartel that controls that part of the the country wants to kill me. Mm-hmm. So they know it's almost for sure a death sentence if they return to their country. And it's almost a for sure that the United States is going to return them to their country. So I had people that would say like the, the federal detention facilities in Tacoma for um, immigrants here for illegals. And so they would say things like, I hope I'm in Tacoma for the rest of my life. I never, ever want to go back to Mexico. Like, because I know I'm going to get killed if I, if I go there, I would rather just sit in a federal facility in Tacoma for the rest of my life because I don't want to deal with this. There, there was multiple people that I talked to that were Jeez. like that. I mean, how terrible, how, how horrible is that? Like, that's really sad. Yeah. It, it makes, it makes talking to someone that's going to go to prison for the rest of their life in America, like pale in comparison to that. Oh yeah. That's, it's crazy. That is pretty crazy. Huh? There's a lot of that. There's a lot more than, than people think. So do you think that, I mean, I imagine that there'll always be some, some kind of presence of the cartel in some form, but do you think if for whatever reason we decide to legalize everything, like all like drugs and everything, Yeah. do you think that that would make them take a pretty big hit? Absolutely. And, oh yeah, for sure. I mean, it, it has with the marijuana crop, right? That, that's a, perfect example of that yeah and a lot of people have so i mean i don't know how much you want to get into it uh far as politically speaking i'm a libertarian so i am i'm fine with full legalization of everything if people want to do it that's people want to use drugs like let's just admit that (laughs) human beings have been using drugs since yeah exactly since time eternal and they will continue to use drugs Mm -hmm. you're insane if you think that people don't want to use drugs anymore so people will they'll find ways to do it Markets will be, be created for that, and there's always going to be a black market, unless you just take it away by legalizing everything. Now, that doesn't mean that there shouldn't be like a tax placed on things, and then that tax is accumulated and used to pay for treatment that people voluntarily want to go into treatment. Absolutely. That's that's what should happen. I have no problem with that whatsoever. Um, but we, like I'm saying, we, we are responsible for the creation of these narco states all throughout South America and Central America as a result of our drug policy here it, it and it kills people in america all the time like legal meth is illegal how often do you see somebody on meth go into downtown portland and throw a rock and you're gonna hit somebody on meth right <laughs> yeah. i mean it's everywhere like this obviously is not working this, yeah. this process is not working and so um legalizing it um taxing it and then allowing people to go into treatment when they need and want treatment is probably the best way to deal with it. Cause it's not working what we're doing oh, yeah. right now. I'd much rather see them just like legalize everything, tax it and use that fund that they get from taxing it to help the homeless situation, you know, the housing crisis yeah. and such like that. Yeah. Like I'd much rather see that occur than continue to, I feel like we're, it's like the, uh, it's like the awkward problem that nobody wants to address. Like, yeah. we're going to keep lying to ourselves. Like, you know, people don't do drugs when it's like they do. I mean, I don't, but I don't, you know, there's a lot of people out there. Well, we're that, doing a drug right now. Well, yeah, I guess <laughs> drinking. Yeah. That's, yeah. No, that's true. Alcohol kills more people than any other drug. That's a good point. Yeah. 
I have a problem. Yeah, I guess I'm, no, I'm, <laughs> I'm not saying you have a problem, <laughs> but kidding. humanity has a problem with like we love hu- humans love drugs. Like, yeah. let's just admit that B- human beings love drugs. Yeah. Alcohol is a socially acceptable drug and people use it uh, to exorbitant degree. Um, yeah. I have to admit I've done that once or twice in my life as well. Um, everybody's guilty of that. But just human beings love. And again, this plays back into like philosophy and psychology. People love to alter their levels of consciousness. Like. This is a way that we cope with our existence in the world is that human beings just like to be, "Ah, I want to get fucked up today in whatever way that is, right? It could be meditation. It could be, um, you know, like a religious mantra or something. It could be weed. It could be alcohol. It could be meth or coke or whatever it is. People just really like to alter their consciousness. It's a part of the human experience that people like to do that. So let's stop denying that people like to do that and deal with it. Like, Let's accept it as a reality and deal with the ramifications in a way that doesn't like create narco states where tens of thousands of people are butchered every single year. Like there's yeah. something really wrong with this. Just figure out the best way to address the issue yeah. that, that we can't avoid. The That's, most practical way. Yeah. Exactly. Yes. That makes sense. Denying our own humanity is not the way to handle this situation. Mm-hmm. Saying that people are immoral or are evil. This is not helping anything. We're not we're not fixing any of this. Yeah. Yeah, there'll always be issues. With, I, I don't think there's ever going to be a point when like everybody is like, I don't want to touch drugs or no. I don't want to. I don't want any alcohol. Like no. that's never going to happen. Human beings love to alter their consciousness. We, yeah. I mean, this, as, if there's a human around, they're gonna, there's going to be somebody that wants to alter their consciousness at some point. That's true. That's just what we do. Yeah, we do it all the time. We just need to learn to accept it and manage it and everything the best way possible. You exactly. Know? Yeah. Accept it as part of our humanity, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I think it, do you think that if that occurred, the cartels would be kind of forced to have to, like, if, if there's no business for them here, if people are like, I can either go get drugs illegally from the cartel or whoever their dealers are, mm-hmm. or I can go get it legally down the street. Right. Right. I don't know. It seems like it would really diminish their presence here. Well, yeah. I mean, here's what I guarantee you. There's not too many cartels selling a lot of weed in the Portland metro area. Oh, right yeah. <laughs> because you can go to a store five minutes from now and get super high quality bud for, what, six bucks a gram or whatever. Right. I mean, it's it's really cheap. You can get weed cheaper than you can get beer right now yeah right because they grow so much fucking weed we're really good at growing weed in america especially in the the especially in the pacific Pacific. northwest yeah Yeah. we we kill it up here so there's no cartels making a ton of money off that so what what do they do they switch to a product that is illegal because they operate in the business of the black market the, the gray area and where there's a market that they can't get into they will they will force their way into that. And the, the issue is now that we've created these entrenched multi-billion dollar um, businesses, which is what they are, they're going to alter their behavior. Um, you know, if we say we magic, which we never do because there's stupid Republicans and Democrats that are like, oh, we go super political if you want to. But um, there are people that are really into not uh, in, in keeping the status quo the mm-hmm. way that it is. Right. Um, but let's say we do do something like that. Those businesses, those multi-billion dollar 
corporations of the cartels, they will adapt to that because it's a business. They're, of course, at the end of the day, they're like, we want to make our money. What are we going to do? So we can't sell meth anymore. What can we possibly sell? And they'll yeah. alter their behavior. And they have a lot of money and resources to be able to do that because they control literally countries at this point. So it, we have created an enormous problem that we are um, totally reluctant to face or even address or admit that we played an enormous part in this. Yeah. And it's really unfortunate. It is unfortunate. But I don't know. Who who knows if we're, we'll ever see any kind of resolve with it, you know, any kind of... I'm not holding my breath. No. I would. <laughs> I mean, maybe one day, but I it doesn't look like it's anytime soon. No, I don't so, think so either. Um, yeah, it looks like we're rolling up on another couple hours here. It was awesome, man, um, as usual. But yeah, I mean, we'll definitely have to keep doing it and i think it'd be fun to do one with like jeremy here too or yeah. jeremy and matt or something oh absolutely like that. i'd love to do that yeah see what their input even if we yeah like we were, we were talking about last time just covering like current events or whatever you know sure. we talked about like what's going on in the world right now and if we keep talking about drugs and the cartels and everything <laughs> like that it's a fun topic right it is i mean it's an we always get topic. really heavy when we come in here. yeah yeah <laughs> No, it's it is an intense topic that I think it's easy living in America to be able to ignore it and mm-hmm. not think about it because we don't have to face it on a day to day basis. You know, right, right. it's not something that's forced upon us like yeah. it is in Southern American countries, unfortunately. Yeah, very true. So anyways, I appreciate you talking today, man. Thank you, man. I appreciate it again. Right, that's another episode of the show. Um, hope you guys enjoyed it. Uh, tell your friends and family about the show and that it can be found on the Apple Podcast app, Stitcher, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Google Play, as well as now tune in. You can follow the show on Facebook and Instagram at No Particular Podcast. There you'll see when I upload episodes and what they'll be about. Feel free to share thoughts and ideas with me at No Particular Podcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. I appreciate your listenership, and I hope you check back again next week for the next episode.